0: And welcome to episode number 212 of the Parkrun Adventurers. I'm Scott and I'm talking to you from Melbourne. And with me in the studio in sunny Queensland is Mel. Welcome along, Mel.
1: Thanks, Scott. How are you doing today?
0: I'm very good. Uh, Every day is getting better down here. uh, So lots to be happy about. And what about you?
1: Yeah, look, I can't complain. Queensland has Parkruns back as at last weekend. So... It's the dream. I'm living the dream, Scott. But tell me, I mean, you're also living somebody's dream because you guys get to eat a lot of donuts down there lately, I believe.
0: We have, I and I, I actually did. I think on maybe the second or third donut day when people started talking about that really becoming mainstream, I did go and buy a whole pack of donuts. <laughs> For people who don't quite get the reference, as um, many of you know, we had a, a very long and severe second lockdown because of COVID here in Melbourne. And when we realized the goal of getting to days where we had zero cases and zero deaths, people on social media started calling them donut days, like donuts for zeros. And so then we were like, oh, we've had another donut day. And that became a thing. And we've now, I think today was like 30 donut days in a row that we've had now. Brilliant. Definitely for the first few. Seriously, supermarkets were selling out of donuts because I think there was just this sort of collective joy around a target that I think people thought was not achievable. I, you know, I certainly had my doubts about whether it was the right thing to do or whether it was achievable. But I think having achieved it, there's been a real sense of of achievement and sort of happiness that we're in this together and we've got something. And, And to celebrate that with something nice like donuts has been a real nice thing.
1: Go, Victoria. And hey, do you reckon this was the brainchild of some really savvy social media person from Donut King or Krispy Kreme who was just like... I think I know how we can sell more donuts.
0: Well, I don't know actually who sort of first started doing it, but I know there's a guy, uh, Anthony McAley, who runs a Twitter account, and he, he very early on set up a website for reporting covid data very early on in australia and he started using it in the graphics donuts and when other states and stuff were getting it so he definitely played a big role in popularizing the thing so i I haven't actually seen any brands jumping on that bandwagon i think they might be a bit hesitant to do that
1: oh look i'll be honest i've bought donuts in solidarity with you guys just because (laughs) i'm like If I ever need an excuse to go to Krispy Kreme, this is it. Did you get get some pineapple ones? I didn't. Do they do pineapple ones?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Pineapple donuts.
1: Oh, my goodness. I think I'll have to go back and check tomorrow.
0: Definitely passion fruit is more common. You know, the standard Coles pack with... Chocolate, strawberry, and and passion fruit—is you probably give bog standard one, but absolutely, there's pineapple ones. I've I've certainly consumed some pineapple ones.
1: Oh, I'd be all over the pineapple. I'm going to
0: get donuts tomorrow. (laughs) Now, actually, Mel, I I thought you know I've had a month of sort of doing it, but we can't have this conversation now. You've got me got me locked onto it.
1: Everybody who's listening is salivating, thinking, "Oh, I could really go a donut right about now." (laughs) You're welcome, Krispy Kreme, Mister Donut. We'll, we'll send you an invoice.
0: So, you know, we don't have Park Run back here. Maybe we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But you do, and you got to get out. So while I'm sitting back eating donuts, you got to go to a Park Run on Saturday. So let's dive straight into that, Mel. How was that?
1: Ah, It was a bit of a mixed bag scott where did you go well i was at Kowana, my home park run everybody in the states and territories that have park run back have been encouraged to stick close to home just go to your home park runs if you can obviously if you're traveling and you just find yourself in another place and you want to grab a park run fix there's nothing wrong with that at all but so yeah i was at Kowana park run i volunteered to do the barcode scanning it was a fun morning it was great to be back and out there but When I said a a little bit earlier that it was a mixed bag, I couldn't get the same level of excited of it as I think I would because so many people in the world don't have parkrun. Yeah. I, I found it really difficult actually to enjoy it as much as I felt like I should have just because I'm so conscious that there are so many who really desperately wish to have it back and they just don't and they can't for, you know, whatever reason their circumstances don't allow in their country or in their state. and
0: But I think the vast majority of them would want you to enjoy it. It's like if you can do it, there's no point you're doing it sort of, you know, half measures.
1: A hundred percent. And look, I've been the same. You know, I've been so excited when New Zealand came back and then we had the Northern Territory and the other states coming online shortly after, Tassie and WA and Japan all these places have got it back, various individual events in other areas and stuff too. And I have had no jealousy, I guess. I haven't had any jealousy that they've had it back. I've literally just had nothing but joy for them mm-hmm. and glad that they could have it and glad that they could experience it. So it is, has been a bit of a eye opener for me that I I didn't feel when it was my turn that it was okay. I I don't know if I'm one of those captains on a ship that's going down and I feel like I have to be the last one off the boat after everybody, after everybody's got a back, that's possibly the only way that I would 100% enjoy myself. And I'm not trying to be a martyr or anything like that. It's just, yeah, conscious that I've got friends who aren't park running. So don't get me wrong. I had a great morning. It was wonderful to see everybody and those familiar faces that I haven't seen in so long. And yeah, had the warm fuzzies when uh, John Taylor, fondly known as JT at Kiwana Park Run, he finished his 350th park run. So he stopped on 349 and he's in his late 80s now. So when he crossed that finish line, there was actually a lot of applause just rippling through the crowd and that was an emotional moment for me but apart from that I, I didn't have the same kind of emotion as I had when Northern Territory came back for example and I was feeling the joy and the emotion for other people I felt a little bit separated from it so I'm, I'm not trying to be ungrateful yes
0: yes no, look, I can, I can, I can sort of understand where that that comes from. Um, you know, we're we're still it's uncertain. We're still a little way away from it here, so I, I can't totally imagine how I'll I'll feel when when I get to do a park run again. But I can I can understand where you're coming from. So for those, yeah, for those out there listening, so we've now got more than half of the states and territories in Australia back up and running.
1: Yes, yeah, so five out of eight of the states and territories are back and there'll just be two left after this weekend coming.
0: Yes. And that's really exciting. And I I think, you know, I'm sure people appreciate the work that's been happening behind the scenes with all of the parkrun stuff dealing with the bureaucracy in every different state. I think people who live in Australia have got used to the fact that this pandemic has brought out uh, a lot of Differences in the way that different states assess risk and and handle processes and handle approvals and things like that. And that's certainly, I think, borne out in the way that that Parkrun's restarted. Speaking as someone that hasn't been able to yet participate, I, I just think it's great. And I think that not only in Australia, but in the rest of the world, I think particularly with such a large number of events coming back in Queensland, this must give some confidence to other jurisdictions that this, you know, this thing that we love and, and do can be done safely and, and in a way that is um, sort of acceptable to governments and and the broader community. So I, I, I think every week that we have parkrun operating in places gives us more and more hope that we can accelerate towards the other ones starting.
1: Absolutely. And look, not even just hope, but evidence Mm. that it's safe to operate and so hopefully everybody else gets on board sooner rather than later. But you know what? I did miss before Parkrun came back and I'm not sure, I can't remember if I mentioned it when I was chatting to Linda last time, but Kawana Parkrun had our eighth anniversary and it was literally a non-event because – we weren't there and it didn't happen. And I know you guys at Albert Park had your ninth anniversary recently too, Scott, but you guys made it an event, didn't you? And I want to hear more about it.
0: Well, we did, yeah. And I think, look, uh, people all around the world, probably 80% of park runs have missed their anniversary this year. You know, obviously a few got through at the start, but I think people- uh, for some of them, that that's always a really big day in the calendar, and I think it's a, you know it's a day when we reflect back on you know how far and yeah for us you know nine years has has been phenomenal, and there's a lot of, that's happened in that time. But we we managed to replicate a few of the the things that Albert Melbourne Park run here. The last few years we've we've just sort of settled on each anniversary doing a, a rainbow theme for it. It's it's a sort of a theme that stuck and it stopped us having to think up new ones every year. Um and so uh Joanne, who's the my, my wife and the co event director with me, she had many of you have seen that she's been doing throughout the pandemic on uh during parkrun time or an hour after parkrun actually, doing uh Facebook live cooking and people from our community join in and, and quite often cook along with her. And it's actually been, you know, something that's been meaningful for a few people. You know, obviously not for everybody, but for a few people it's been really, really meaningful. And so they cooked a uh, rainbow cakes on that day and that that was a, a lot of fun I came back just at the end of it and there was some ingredient that Joanne had left out and she was like oh I'll just mix them all back the colors back together and then do them and and I was like no 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 stop <laughs> because if you mix the colors they're not going to ever unmix again and you, no,
1: you don't have a brown <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> and she was like oh yeah good point so that was good but yeah she did a really great job and we had had a couple of people who went down to the course and um daryl and julie who's a a couple who are awesome volunteers they took photos of themselves down at the course and posted that into the chat and there are a few other people that dropped in and um you know and there were people cooking along which was really uh a really good thing and then myself and a few others actually wore sort of rainbow outfits during our not park run so I, i went out with um with one of our run directors and very good friend sarah who um we have been running together most or all saturdays during this and we did a nine kilometer run for nine years we both had rainbow outfits on running along the uh, the beach at st kilda and and yeah we got a lot more smiles on that day than normal so that was that was really nice uh so yeah so we managed to capture a few aspects of the of the day and the, the anniversary by sort of um, replicating those things that we normally do um,
1: and you can never have too many rainbows
0: no that's exactly right you know there's a lot of symbolism in it and you know we think that the rainbow is there and there is light coming and there is hope and there is parkrun coming back as as you saw yeah so it was an, it was nice to do it but it just means that next year when it's the 10th anniversary which will, you know is a, a less arbitrary number we will uh, have to make it an extra
1: special celebration lockdowns have left a lot of people running around their own backyards Scott
0: yes lots of people have been running around their backyards and things like that during uh, this time and I believe you had a conversation with one of them who got quite good at running around a, a fairly big
1: yard I did we should go have a listen great In October, our guest competed in the Big Dogs World Championship for the year 2020. The aim of this competition is to see who can run the greatest number of yards, that is laps, with each yard being 6.7 kilometres. Not to be mistaken with that other unit of measurement that I don't understand. 21 countries took part in the championship, with each country hosting their own event this year, and the Aussie leg was held on the Oxley Common in Brisbane. This year, not only did our guest compete in it, but he won it in Australia and finished 17th in the world out of a field of 315 runners. He is an Airely Beach park runner, and his name is Chris Murphy. Chris, welcome to the Park Run Adventurers podcast. Thank you for having me, Mel. Now, oh my goodness, I've got so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start with you're in the World Championships for this random thing running the greatest number of yards and the yards are 6.7 kilometres. Can you give us a bit of an overview of the event itself and where it came from, what the history is, and how you got involved? Uh,
2: Yeah, the general gist of the race or event is it's a last one standing. So that 6.7-kilometre yard that we do is done – every hour on the hour. So for this race, we started at 10 p.m. At 10 o'clock, we'd run 6.7 Ks. And then 11 o'clock, we'd run 6.7 Ks. And that continued until we only had one person left that could finish a loop by themselves. Uh, This this style of race came about from, um, there's a guy in America in Tennessee called Gary Cantrell or Lazarus Lake. He thought up this one to try and take the edge out of the faster competitors and bring everyone back to being tired at the end of every lap. Yeah, I got into this one I uh, competed in the Clint Eastwood, which is the exact same style race in the exact same location back in August. Yeah, managed to have a good run there. Uh, Did 30 yards, came third. So then when um, this event in October, the world champion style one, came about, yeah, I got invited to be part of the Australian team and, uh, yeah, turned that into a bit better day than expected.
1: I like that it's a team event when it gets to the world championship level. So normally you participate as an individual, but 15 people get selected from each country to go to the World Championships. How do people get selected?
2: Well, uh, this one was actually the first of its kind. Generally, there are golden ticket races all around the world. The winners from those go to Tennessee, and I think they have about 70 runners take part in the in the single race over there, at, um, but due to COVID this year and no one being able to, to travel internationally, yeah, they rethought the whole situation and came up with the the satellite version where each country has their own race.
1: And I guess they wanted you to be running with some other people to feel that camaraderie and competitiveness at the same time.
2: Yeah. So they they decided that they'd run 15 person team at each of the different countries. And I was lucky enough to get included from a a decent run at the event a few months beforehand. And there's a few other guys that had done well in years gone by, as well as um, the winners from the Clint were this year, which was Ryan Crawford, who came first. And Cam Munro who's come second there two years in a row and yeah the rest were a group of different different runners with extremely good resumes that made me feel completely underqualified to be there but welcome me with open arms.
1: <laughs> it's one of those random concept events. Can you explain to me a little bit about why it is 6.7 kilometers because yeah that is a big yard for a dog however. <laughs> Um, i mean i certainly don't have a yard that size and it, it does seem like a random total of kilometers
2: it does and it but the fact that if you add that up for 24 hours it's worked out so that every every 24 hours that you run for is is 100 miles
1: uh-huh. <laughs> aha do you get something for making the 24 hours and doing a 100-miler? Do you get uh, a medal or something to say, well, I did the 100 miles but I didn't win anything else?
2: No, you get the self-satisfaction that you tick the, the 100-mile box.
1: Yeah. Bragging rights. <laughs> That's it.
2: That's it. And as you go through like the bigger races like the Clean Eastwood, we had 108 people start. The amount of people that get to that 24-hour mark, the 100-mile mark, and then don't start the next lap is crazy. It's that, yep, I've ticked the box, I'm done and people pull out straight after 24 hours. So the the 25th hour is where you see who's left to to run the race.
1: Hmm. I'm not sure I can blame them, (laughs) to be honest. Yes. Okay, now I mentioned when I introduced you that you won the Aussie leg and set a new Australian record of 46 laps. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's right. So previously the record for for this style event was 41 hours, and um, yeah, we managed to push it for an extra five hours. I think they've only been running for a few years, so I don't think there's been all that many events. But, but yeah, it was cool to, to bump it up a few hours.
1: And when you know you've already done the previous record, and and what the, the person who came second in Australia, how many laps did they get in, and when did they stop?
2: Forty-five. So it was Barry Loveday. Yeah, was the guy. Me and him ran together for sixteen hours, just the pair of us. Yeah, forty-five hours. We uh, forty-five laps. We'll. We both finished that one. Um, he got help back to the start line. He didn't want to start, but he did. And, um, yeah, I managed to f- complete the forty-six lap and he walked his and he didn't make it back within the hour. So that means that, that I was the winner. So it's it's a literal as soon as there's one person left, game over.
1: Oh, okay. So they don't let you just – they don't let you keep going. No. Just because you want to clock up some extra kilometres and you've got the time.
2: No. A few people have said that me being the winner of the race, technically I'm – the only loser because I don't get to find out how far I could go.
1: Well, I guess there's nothing from stopping you doing it unofficially, is
2: there? <laughs> no, and the hard part was the um, there was a few other countries, another five other countries still going when we were finished. Yeah, America went to 69 hours and uh, Belgium with Carl Saab went to 75.
1: So they don't... Okay, and this was going to be another one of my questions and I guess it it's sort of um, hinted at by the fact that you started at 10pm, which once again is a very random time to start <laughs> a race is that because you were all literally running at the same time wherever you were in the world
2: yes yeah so it, it was all hinged around um, the main race in Tennessee which started at 7am I believe it was there was a live video link between all the events so we all all heard the same bell the same whistle at the start of every lap and we'd all toddle away from the start line and do our thing and come back and um live coverage of the whole event was was pretty cool. And I think, I think Australia did the best as far as live coverage goes. Um, Alan Davies from AAA Racing and Sam Penny with all the, the live coverage did an incredible job. So I've got a lot of family down south around the Bathurst area and they obviously couldn't be up here for it, but they, they felt like they were with the, the coverage that, that was put out for this race. It was amazing.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. And when it comes to... The fact that you started at 10 p.m. and they started over there at 7 a.m., do you think that was an advantage perhaps or a disadvantage or do you think it didn't really make much of a difference?
2: I'd probably put it as a, a slight disadvantage for the fact that I was probably down a little bit of sleep at the start. For the for the Clint Eastwood, it was a 1 a.m. start and that was by choice from from the, the race organiser. <laughs> Oh, I managed to get a let's bit,
1: not make things easy for oh, the
2: people i got about two hours sleep before that race started uh, so i started on the on the wrong foot straight away for the, the, new, the original race there but yeah i managed to work around that and try and get a bit of sleep every lap and um, play catch up but uh yeah the 10 p.m start was probably a little bit rough by the time you get there set up and and do everything you need to do during the day you you're ready for bed by the time you start in this race
1: Mm. And then there's there's 46 laps. Did you have an <laughs> opportunity for any kind of little power snoozes? Did you run a couple of the laps faster, for example, just so you could close your eyes for 15 or 20 minutes before you had to start again?
2: No. In the the clean Eastwood, I was running about 48 minutes a lap for the first couple of laps, and then decided that I needed to sleep, so I ran a little bit faster from there. And, started having to sleep every lap and that worked really well. So that became my strategy for the rest of that race and this uh, world championship race. So for this one in October, I was running about a 45-minute lap fairly consistently. And then, uh, yeah, I'd come back in, quick bite to eat, sort out the plan for the next lap with with my crew, which is my wife and a good friend. And then I would kick back in my uh, reclining camp chair and squeeze in somewhere between five and eight minutes sleep sometimes (laughs)
1: that boggles my mind (laughs) that you've got uh, like this 15 minute window and you've got time to talk strategy and then eat something and then actually sleep Um, i mean but it's amazing what the body can do especially when you really want sleep isn't it
2: yeah it it, my wife would have a good old chuckle because i would be out cold within within a matter of seconds (laughs) and then (laughs) Three minutes before the start of the next lap and they'd they blow a whistle and that would startle me awake every time. And she oh, okay. So it
1: was the whistle that made you awake. It wasn't – you didn't get woken up so you could be on the start line.
2: Warning whistles at three minutes, two minutes, one minute, and then it's a whistle to go. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. I hate the sound of whistles. <laughs> All
1: right, now let's talk about the logistics. You mentioned your wife was on your support crew uh, and and another friend. Who are they and, and what do they do in a world championship to keep Team Murphy going? Uh,
2: yeah, so it was my wife and another good uh, running friend from the running club and from Park Run up here, Julie Stone. They basically take care of anything and everything that I need in between laps. The less I have to think or take care of, the better so I'd come in I'd hand them empty water bottles and my vest and, and whatever else I had tell them what I wanted or didn't want and they'd throw a few different options for food at me I'd eat those or throw them in the bin because I didn't like them at that point in time depending on how the stomach felt they'd, they'd give me massage ice packs to put around the neck to try and cool down during the day they'd give me jackets to warm up during the night the best way they put it was like a, a pit stop at the Bathurst races where I'd come in they'd, <laughs> refuel get
1: your tires changed. change
2: tires do all that clean <laughs> me up <laughs> a bit of bit of sunscreen on clean me up whatever needed doing but also looking like looking after a toddler that doesn't know how to look after themselves <laughs> so <laughs> yeah because they,
1: that's what you're doing after a few of these laps i imagine just toddling on those legs
2: yeah and i'm i just i can't think straight at, towards the end so they're they're just throwing food in at me and in me and um, just making decisions for me by the end. Time. So I'm sort of pretty reliant on those guys to be able to, to keep keep getting up and going out lap after lap.
1: Well, it's it's lucky you've got such an awesome support crew to keep you going. Yes. Okay, so now we, we have talked about the number of laps and that was 46 hours, but that's not yeah. obviously um, your total run time, which was actually – 34 hours, 42 minutes, and 30 seconds, which meant for the 308.2 kilometres that you completed, it was actually the quickest time in the world for the distance. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. I mean, that's (laughs) incredible. You've got to use the numbers and say, well, okay, I might have come 17th in the world, however.
2: (laughs) It was the fastest.
1: (laughs) It was the fastest. (laughs) (laughs) I was I was the fastest person to finish 17th. <laughs> I mean that that is very impressive. Do you think you would potentially look at changing your strategy the next time to slowing it down by a minute or 2 minutes just to see if you can last longer or I guess you're going to be in Tennessee and actually participating so you'll be allowed to just go as long as anyone else is there and you might come up against these people who did an extra However many laps it was, then you were you were forced to stop in Australia because there was no one physically left to participate with
0: yeah
2: yeah, so I, it, it's it's hard to say how much further you could go in in these sort of races. um I still was fairly consistent with my lap time, so it was I was moving well enough to be able to get more laps done. I think fifty laps was in reach okay but it's it's one of those things where once you start slowing down and you sort of you start running out of time in between laps to get the the standard routine done. That
1: and the recovery,
2: yeah, it might make your next lap a little bit slower again. I think it's a fairly quick downward spiral once you start getting into that. But strategy wise, I think I think I was pretty happy with what I was doing. It was enough time that I could get a decent rest, a bit of sleep, food, redo everything, and and get back out there without. Without being rushed, but also not pushing too hard out on course. Tennessee might be a slightly different course. I think it's a bit more technical. They actually do it slightly different in for their race during the daytime. They run a they run a trail loop, and then during the night they go out onto the road just to make it a little bit safer. Yeah, so it'll be interesting how that would play out. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with my my 45 46 minute loops.
1: All right, so uh, I want to know how has Early Beach Park Run played into this whole story how did you first find out about parkrun and how did you get involved
2: so back in 2016 i was getting a bit fat and, and whatnot not quite as fit as i used to be so i decided to start just running around the block um, trying to do something to build some fitness back up because most sports didn't really line in with work all that well so gone to that and then a friend from work suggested i should do the Ellie beach 5k at the running festival there so I signed up, did that, and then from there I bumped into another friend who said, oh, he should should come down do park runs Saturday mornings, 7 a.m. we run 5Ks every weekend. So I got myself a little barcode and turned up there the following week and and started, yeah, regularly doing that. And I could see the benefit to myself of turning up there week after week. So I put the effort in and pushed myself and forced myself out of bed every Saturday morning to, to get down there and make it a habit. And... Um, Really enjoyed it to the point where I started <laughs> encouraging my wife to get out of bed really early every Saturday morning, much to her disgust to begin with. But <laughs> and yeah, made some some really good friendships there. A lot of different people, which is which is the coolest thing. There's there's people well into their seventies that are that are running there. There's eleven year olds, 12, 15, 20 year olds. Um, there's people from all different backgrounds, and they're all a hundred percent behind each other and. I think Airlie Beach is probably one of the friendliest. I know parkrun a fairly friendly thing, but um, Airlie Beach is ex- an extremely good bunch of people and we have a lot of um, people travelling through, a lot of tourists, so we get that sort of things where people having a great old time on holidays as well. And, yeah, I made that a habit and that progressed me to running further and further. I remember when I first started turning up, I'd see people that ran from home, did parkrun and then ran home again. I thought they were crazy. That's like, how could you run three Ks to parkrun, run a fast parkrun, then run home again? <laughs> I've slowly built up over the years, and I, I'm a little bit out of town, so it's about an 18K run from me to get from home to parkrun. But that'll during the training times, that'll be a, a fairly standard run for me to to run from home into parkrun, do parkrun, and then potentially run home again or do a few extra loops here and there. So, it, but I still try and keep parkrun in amongst the training as much as I can just because it's given me so much and I enjoy the time I spend with all those people there.
1: So that's just a cheeky little marathon on a Saturday morning <laughs> with a park run in the middle basically.
2: Occasionally, yes, sometimes, yeah. And
1: the, this all started in 2016 and we're only in 2020.
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's it's pretty it's really That escalated pretty quick. quickly, Chris. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> those kilometres have added up very fast.
2: Yeah, I think it was... Started in 2016, got stuck in the park and thing, and then May 2018 I ran the UTA 100K. And, um, yeah, <laughs> that, that was a, a big jump. <laughs> but I got it done, and, yeah, here we are now.
1: Here we are now. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod this week, Chris. We really appreciate having you here to share your stories and congratulations on getting your golden ticket. To Tennessee. (laughs) Commiserations to Nicole for you getting a (laughs) ticket (laughs) to Tennessee. Thank you, Um, But really wish you all the best for it and can't wait to hear how it goes.
2: Thanks, Mel.
0: Well, while Chris has been doing uh, some real runs, uh, there are still plenty of virtual runs happening because there are still events that are too big to take place at the moment. And one of those is what is normally Australia's biggest marathon, the Melbourne Marathon, is actually been deferred to this coming week. And here in Melbourne, they've switched that to all a a virtual run. And uh, yeah, have a guess what I'm going to do, Mel.
1: Oh, does it seem too obvious that you're going to do the marathon?
0: Well, I don't think I am actually going to do the marathon now, but that would have been an obvious guess. Okay, but I actually the um
1: the five thousand meters, the park run distance.
0: I yes, you're you're correct on that. The way they've set up the Melbourne Marathon is there, you can actually do the events over eight days. So, I had this idea that I'll actually enroll in all of them. So, I, I did sign up. <laughs> I signed up for the five, 10, half, and full marathon because I had this vision of me being like, like Ann Thorpe after the Olympics with like four medals around my neck. <laughs> <laughs> but I have decided over the last couple of weeks that I just haven't put enough focus on running really long distances in the last little while. Earlier in the year, I did, but the last little while, I've sort of tapered off a little bit. I've been running a bit more with some other friends. So I think I'm going to pull the pin on the actual 42K, but I'm doing the three others. So I'll do the 5K with Joanne and I'll do the 10K with Sarah who I mentioned earlier and my other friend Lynn is going to do her second half marathon and I'll run that with her. So I'm actually giving myself, you know, a pretty enjoyable experience because I actually love pacing. People are really, really take great uh, enjoyment out of running alongside someone and seeing them push through and battle their demons or, you know, and encourage them along the way.
1: Well, you're perfectly comfortable and not even breaking a sweat. That's the other
0: thing too, you know, it means that I don't really have to push myself and so on it's all about me like you know oh yeah i'll talk to you and i'll, I'll keep you going yeah it, it is a bit easier on my body if i'm not pushing myself so um yeah so it's it's yeah, it's been an interesting experience i think in some ways these virtual ones you know feel a little bit not real because you don't have the sense of occasion there's not the same course and stuff like that but absolutely for some people i think they've been very helpful in giving them something to to aim for something to train for uh, and a few of the people that I mentioned that I'm doing it with, they've absolutely had these as goals and, and, you know, been wanting to say, okay, well, I'm going to set myself this goal of early December doing something. And, you know, in the absence of something like parkrun, um, where you've got that sort of collective thing and other things, having goals is, is a good thing for people.
1: Look, if it's an excuse that actually gets you out and moving, I think I'm all for it. Definitely.
0: Yes. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, You know, can report back some other time, but I think um, I'll I'll only have at best three medals to wear around my neck.
1: Oh, that's disappointing, Scott. (laughs) I'm disappointed in you in advance. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I'm contemplating doing couch to 5K because after streaky September, I came to a grinding halt with all forms of movement and... Yeah, it's not been good for my health or my fitness.
0: Have you done it before?
1: I haven't. I've never done it before, so I'm I'm not sure if I can even commit to it to be honest, but The thought had crossed my mind. Well,
0: I I have had a bit of experience with that in the last couple of weeks. I'd I'd never actually done it myself. I mean, I'm not a great runner at all, but I I don't even remember how I did my first 5k, but I didn't use a gradual program like that. I probably should have. So yeah, I haven't really been exposed to it. But over the last uh, couple of months, I have been doing it with friend of Parkrun and uh, Australian breakfast television presenter, Lisa Miller. I'm sure Lisa won't mind me giving her a bit of a shout out on here. Lisa's done plenty of running and Done a couple of triathlons and stuff, but hadn't been focusing on her running recently. And she put on Instagram a little while ago that she was looking to try and, you know, build up her running times again. And Joanne saw her on Instagram and, and replied to Lisa and was like, oh, you know, doing a Catch the 5K program would be a good idea. Lisa lives down here in Melbourne and, and comes to Albert Melbourne Park Run. And she sort of spoken a few times and she rang Joanne up and she's like, oh, have you got some advice? And Joanne was like, oh, my husband's really good at doing it and then volunteered me. I mean, <laughs>
1: Thanks, Joanne. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. But it, it's actually, I've had the privilege of, of having runs for the last couple of months with Lisa as we've been gradually building up. And last weekend she did, she ran the whole 5k by herself actually while I was away. So I'm looking forward to sort of testing it out again this week and, and seeing it. But yeah, look, I've learned a lot about it. There's quite a few different Programs out there, you know, there's not a single one, but as, absolutely, they're a great way of building up that. It's the confidence as much as the the mechanics and the stamina of it. Uh, you know, I think all of us know that you can talk yourself out of a run pretty easily if you if you're not feeling it. So I I recommend it.
1: Okay, I might consider semi thinking about committing to that. <laughs> I,
0: unfortunately, it's probably a little bit far for me to come and run to you. And my my dance cards are getting a little bit full at the moment. <laughs>
1: Oh look, I'm not looking for a coach don't worry I won't ask Joanne to uh, volunteer you
0: (laughs) but yeah she's done a great job and it's been really great to to see I'm all for pacing if if people out there are you know looking for something to do and they're you know they're okay with their own running I can't recommend pacing enough it's such a rewarding and fun thing to do
1: yeah well I've only inadvertently done it the one time oh no actually it's it's Yes, it was inadvertent one time and it was planned the second time and I've enjoyed it both times. So 100% of my experiences, I would recommend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it's good.
1: So how's this for a, a bit of a stretch on a segue, Scott? Speaking of pacing, it has come to my attention that it is probably time for me to step away from the Parkrun Adventurers podcast.
0: Okay. That's big news.
1: Yes, big, possibly sudden, but maybe not unexpected for a lot of listeners. I'm not sure. It's uh, it's certainly been on my mind for a very long time. To be honest, the majority of this year.
0: When did you lose Scotty? When did he pull up stumps?
1: That was August of last year.
0: Okay, so it's more than more than a year ago now. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, as the listener then, you know, I was surprised but incredibly happy that you, you continued on and you found found your new tribe. So is it going to be a case of some of them continuing?
1: Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I should probably, before everyone freaks out, the podcast is going to still be here. Excellent. <laughs> yes, it's just not going to be co-hosted by a Mel Urbacher. I'm very, very pleased to announce that there is another Mel who is stepping up to the plate. I think you will all recognise her when she comes on board. Her surname also begins with an E and she is a much loved and valued member of our Channel 5 News crew. Of course, I'm speaking about Mel Ellis stepping up to the plate and she's bringing with her the wonderful Ollie Spake who is going to be her new co-host. So I'm very excited to announce that.
0: So these are the kids that have had the keys to the house a couple of times already, haven't they?
1: They have, yes. We've been giving them a bit of a test run, letting not just keys to the house, but keys to the really expensive Porsche. That <laughs> um, if we're talking about movie metaphors here, then this is definitely Ferris Bueller's day off. And yeah, we've let them borrow Cameron's dad's car okay. a couple of times, and they haven't wrecked it yet. So. Yes, they'll be taking over from the beginning of January, the 1st of January, 2021. 2021. It's going to be a new year for the podcast and a new year for. Oh, gosh I hope it's going to be a new year for everyone in more positive than 2020 has been I'm not usually the kind of person who's ah like, oh, this year has been terrible I can't wait till next year but this is I think probably the first year of my life where I have kind of thought I just really hope next year is better
0: yeah look I think everybody shares that the pragmatist in me says that it's not all going to change just when the calendar flicks over but I think that where there's definitely light at the end of the various tunnels around the world and I think that the start of a new year is always a good reason to rekindle that hope and, and steel ourselves to hopefully get through what is hopefully the the last phases of, of this pandemic that's um, thrown up our lives. So, do you think you might be might throw in the occasional uh, roving report? Can you see yourself doing that?
1: Look, I don't know. I'm not going to say never. Never say never. It's possible. I'm. Yeah, I don't know, Scott. I honestly don't know.
0: Yeah, look, I know it's a big decision, and I know many of the listeners know that your, you know, your your passion is also your profession, and this you know has meant a lot to you, and it's a it's a big decision. So, but I'm always of the belief that when you make a decision like this, whether it's you know leaving a job that you love or moving or whatever change in your life when you make it, you've got to make it the right decision, and when you make it, you have to follow through on that and, and believe that it is.
1: Yeah. I agree. And look, it's no secret that obviously the podcast hasn't been the same since Scotty left. It's been a very different podcast and I have missed him incredibly having that. I mean, the Channel 5 News crew have been beyond amazing in co-hosting with me and it's been awesome to get to know them all better and let our listeners get to know them all better as they've co-hosted throughout the more than 12 months since he left. But yeah, I, I do feel like the continuity of having the same co-hosts every week is going to be wonderful to have again. And it's a great opportunity for everyone to get to know Mel and Ollie as they plan their adventures and and move forward. At the moment, neither one of them has actually got Parkrun back in their state, but fingers crossed that that is only a very short duration. And we've got Channel 5 News crew members all over the country. So, there should be plenty of content for them to talk about now that parkrun is on the up and up with getting back in australia and asia pacific region in general so yeah i've got every faith that it's going to be an amazing podcast i will definitely be tuning in i'm not going anywhere and I'm sure all the listeners will still be supportive and hanging around for them as well. And yeah, it's just time.
0: Well, on behalf of the listeners, you know, and this is my my privilege to get to say this on behalf of the millions of people out there that tune in every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, thank you for all you've done. Uh, I mean, it has been thousands of hours that you've put into this over many years, and you know, you have bought smiles, you've bought joy, you've bought new facts, you've brought, you know, new experiences to a huge number of people. So it's, it's been awesome. You know, I've, as I've said repeatedly, I've had the privilege of coming on and speaking like this as a, as a co-host a couple of times, but the vast majority of the 200 times I've been, you know, sitting at the end of my headphones, listening at one and a half times speed and enjoying, <laughs> enjoying it all. So yeah, well done. and Thank you.
1: That's a lovely thing to say, Scott. Thank you.
0: Well, it's very lucky for me to get to say that. So, But between now and then, there is something very important coming up, and this is another thing that's very dear to your heart and very close to your heart even, and that's our International Ugly Christmas Singlet and Shirt Day 2020.
1: Yes, and every year, all the years, (laughs) ever. Ugly Christmas singlet or shirt day. This year, of course, it is and it's always on the third Saturday of December, but this year that day falls on the 19th. So put it in your diaries, people, if you haven't already. You don't need to already own an ugly Christmas shirt or singlet. You can make one yourself. Uh, There is an instructional video on the International Ugly Christmas Singlet or Shirt Day page on Facebook. So if you head over there and like it, there's a video there showing you how you could make one at home from running singlets you already have and decorations and other bits and bobs you've already got around the house. So, you don't have to spend any money to do it. And uh, we will be doing another video before the end of the month with some fresh designs for 2020 as well, which I'm very excited about. But
0: for those that have spent the money, it's probably one of the best investments they've ever made because,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because it is awesome. Uh, so, I've got mine. I think we were pretty early in getting them delivered, weren't we? They they You were.
1: They- uh, here's the thing, Scott. So, Apart from the international orders, which actually get prioritised because they're going to take longer to get to their destination, all the other orders get shipped by order of order placement. Okay. So I'm pretty sure you and Joanne – had your order in in about the first five minutes after it opened. Joanne did.
0: I, I I can take no um no credit for that. Her enthusiasm for this is very high. Uh, Christmas Day is Joanne's birthday, so everything about Christmas is a very high priority in our house.
1: Celebration.
0: <laughs> we both have had the all of the editions of the ugly Christmas singlets in previous years and, and love them very much. So yeah, when you announced that they were up for order, Joanne was straight in to the point where even a couple of our friends moments later said, "Oh, do you want to order them together so we can save postage?" And Joanne's like, "I've already ordered." Uh, <laughs> Like oh, <laughs> you're too <laughs> slow. Um, so, so yeah, okay. So that explains oh, things because yeah, ours oh. did come a couple of weeks ago, and I, I have worn it out a couple of times. I wanted to uh, to try it, and got some very positive feedback. Actually, I wore it on the day that I mentioned earlier on on the Album Melbourne the ninth anniversary because it was pretty rainbow. Yeah, it's pretty colourful.
1: It is. The rainbow colours are based on the gay pride flag. So, it, yeah, that was intentional. And also the shirt this year is possibly the most symbolic of all the years that it's ever been, on a multiple levels as well.
0: Yeah, it is spectacular. There's a huge amount of detail in there. Uh, if you've got one or if you see someone out, I do encourage you to go up and look at it because I know, Mel, you spent a lot of time in creating very large, uh, illustrator files containing all of the detail. Um, of
1: <laughs> Which, yes, and and a lot of people who were waiting for the orders to open will know that we, we mentioned a couple of times, it'll, it'll be tomorrow. We're told it'll be tomorrow and then it was tomorrow and then it didn't happen. And that's literally because the files were so big that the suppliers, designers, couldn't handle them. I think they needed to get the big computers out.
0: Well, every every gigabyte of that file uh, it has been worth it because the, the fine detail in the print is very special. Pleased to see that the pineapples are still featured prominently.
1: There will always be a pineapple, Scott. Every year there's going yeah, to be a pineapple.
0: We're in solidarity on that one. It's really great. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Whether there's Parkrun actually on Christmas Day or not, that shirt will be getting aware. But Definitely on the 19th is is going to be a big day.
1: It's going to be super fun. And, look, I'm encouraging everybody who's got one already to get out there and wear them because the joy that you are spreading by having rainbow shirts with an emu on them and all about Christmas cannot be underestimated. And one of the things that I'm most proud of, of this year is that we actually had them available in children's sizes and as soon as people started receiving them for their kids and sent me photos my heart melted because it's the best decision I've made this entire year, (laughs) bar none, is to have kids sizes available because they are freaking adorable. Excellent. Definitely going to be a mainstay in future years as well. Have
0: you got a sense of how many or what what proportion have headed overseas? Have there been a lot?
1: Um, I don't know in terms of proportion, but we definitely have shirts that have gone once more to the UK and New Zealand. I'm not sure that we've had any other countries this year. I'm pretty sure last year we had some go to the US with the koala. Yeah well, it'll be
0: interesting to see the uh, the reactions of uh, particularly in the UK of running around with the big emu on the front. Uh, it may not be immediately uh, identifiable as a, as a bird so I wonder what the reaction will be of people.
1: Yeah well I've already seen some of them out there. We've seen photos of tinsels for those who don't remember or have only started tuning in this year. The collective term given to a group of people dressed in ugly Christmas singlets or shirts is called a tinsel. Okay, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, well, there you go. So I've received pictures of big tinsels of people in their shirts already, which has just made my day. Every time a new one comes through, it just lights me up. I can't tell you how much I love it. Yes, spread the joy, people. 19th of December, put it in your diaries. Do not forget in the meantime, Scott, thank you for joining me for another episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here when I had to make a little bit of an announcement that I wasn't too sure how I was going to make or how I'd cope with. So it was uh, very comforting to have you around for that.
0: Well, thank you. Well, this is our last our last one co-hosting together. I'm, You know, we'll obviously still talk often and, and in depth, but yeah, thanks for all the opportunities over the years that you've given me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. So this is episode number 212 of the Parkrun Adventurers podcast. I've been Scott Watkins.
1: And I'm always going to be Mel Erbacher.
0: Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode as we get closer to International Ugly Christmas Singlet and Shirt Day 2020 and the end of 2020.